Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Horror Story is a podcast about strange and mysterious true horrors. My name is Edwin Covarrubias, host and producer of Horror Story. In the show, I have an episode called There's a Stranger in Your Walls. And it's about a woman that moved out of her home because she thought it was being haunted. But the truth happened to be even scarier than the ghosts. Other stories dive deep into the supernatural, like the one of the most infamous cases of real ghosts, called The Haunting in San Pedro. But if you're into mysteries, learn about the pilot who disappeared in the sky. All of these and more are available on Horror Story right now, with more episodes coming out every single week. You can search for the podcast by typing in Horror Story on your podcast app right now. The show is the one with the yellow letters. I'll see you over there on Horror Story. True Scary Story is a podcast about personal, terrifying stories dealing with the paranormal. True accounts from people who live through strange and supernatural experiences, told directly by them. My name is Edwin Covarrubias, and for years I have been listening to stories from people who have shared their most frightening true experiences with me. There was one story recently called There's Something in the Closet, where Juanita tells us about her experiences growing up in a house where she would see objects physically move on their own, but the rest of her family would act as if nothing was happening. It wasn't until years later that she found out what the source of it all was, which makes me wonder... If you were to witness a haunting, who would believe you? Come find True Scary Story by typing it into your app right now. I'll see you over there on True Scary Story. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's edition, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most 
terrifying imaginations with an audio adaptation of frightening fiction about sinister security. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and tonight I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of Marcus Demanda, our voice talents, Paul J. McSorley, Olivia Steele, Rissa Montanez, Danielle Hewitt, and Eric Peabody. Now, get your ticket ready, take your seat in our Theater of the Minds, and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Segment Story 1 Introduction Our first tale this evening is brought to us by our friends over at Velox Books, is written by Marcus Demanda, and is performed by Paul J. McSorley, Olivia Steele, Rissa Montanez, Danielle Hewitt, and Eric Peabody. In it, a couple away on a dream vacation face a home invasion of the worst kind. Now, without further ado, I present to you The House Sitters. I got the call just before nine o'clock. A pleasantly warm wind fanned the balcony upon which I stood, and below it, the reflective surface of the lagoon. The moon was out. I had a glass of wine in one hand and the whole world in the other. There really is no place like Bora Bora for a week's vacation in the summer, and no resort equal to the chateau for getting the most out of it. The wine was a full-bodied red that smelled rather like mentholated black cherry, simple and pleasant. I put my lips to the glass. It was richer and rather more complex in the tasting, adding notes of plum and raspberry, blending them. Buccella Cabernet. Delightful. Standing next to me, Lorraine turned and arched her back just slightly over the railing. She had her hair down. Her gown, half open, fluttered in the wind. She wore nothing underneath. At 29, she too was delightful. The voice on the other end of the phone, not so much. Have you lost your fucking mind? It was Darby, my sweet precious daughter. It was good of her to call. It was nice to know that she cared. As for the question... I don't think so. Why do you ask? Lorraine's smile vanished. It seemed that Darby's voice carried. Every summer you do this. She went on, her voice trapped somewhere between exasperation and contempt. Every year you advertise to the whole world that you're 5,000 miles from home. It's like you want something bad to happen. I hadn't actually seen Darby in more than three years. She was in college now, as I knew by the tuition bill. Legally, she was no longer my concern. All claims of child support had been rendered null and void upon the celebration of her 18th birthday, to which I had not been invited. I still loved her, though. I wanted her to have a good education. She'd come around one day. Anyway, it wasn't like I was hurting for money. Sweetheart, what are you talking about? I'm talking about your Facebook page, Dad. She said, sounding as though she were summoning patience, sounding as though 
patience was a rock that had to be drawn up from a deep hole with chains of iron. You don't even have your privacy settings set. Anyone can see it. Do you understand? Anyone! She was talking about my vacation pictures, of course. I left the railing, phone still at my ear, and regarded my laptop, which I'd brought out onto the balcony with me. It was powered on and open, showing the Facebook page to which my daughter was referring. And yes, there were several nice shots there, all very recently uploaded. Two, I had left my settings public. Oh, that. The public nature of my settings had not been an oversight. I was not in the habit of being careless. I said, it's good to know that you check up on me occasionally, even if it's only online. Angry silence emanated from her end, broken only by the sound of her breathing. Darby, what's the problem? Next to me, Lorraine sighed. I put a finger over her lips, discouraging any comment from her. She and Darby did not get along, had never gotten along. There had been a time, long gone now, when I had hoped they would have made fast friends. Only eleven years separated them. We've been through this before. You know what the problem is. I've told you a million times, and you never forget anything, even though you don't listen to me. I smiled, pleased to be acknowledged for my good memory. And it was true. I remembered all that she had ever told me as it pertained to the risk of posting my vacation pictures over social media. A wealthy man coming home might find that his house had been utterly and completely sacked and the robbers gone for days. Such things had happened before. Such things had been on the news. How's your mother, Darby? I never hear from her. What the actual fuck, Dad? Like you give a shit. Lorraine snorted. How she wanted to dive into this conversation. I could virtually smell her impatience, her anger. We should get together, I said. I'll be home in a week. I miss you. You could, I don't know. Show me how to change my privacy settings. Moments passed, then... Maybe. Had her temper cooled by a degree? But then she had to add... If it's just us. Lorraine narrowed her eyes and I found myself wishing that I had come out here alone or that my girlfriend's hearing was not so damned acute. Yet there was a part of me that was tempted, sorely tempted, to stoke the fire between them and I had always been a hopeless slave to temptation. You should come with us next year. Bring the boyfriend if you like. I won't bite. <gasps> Lorraine actually gasped. Hold on. Making no effort whatsoever to keep her voice down. No. I gestured to her, tried to simultaneously wave her off while reassuring her with my eyes. There was no way Darby would actually take me up on the offer. If I had thought she might... I'd never have suggested it. Much as I loved my daughter, I didn't want her fucking things up. If anything, I wanted to see what she would say about her having a boyfriend. I had no idea if she had one or not, truth be told, but I suspected that she did. Darby really was quite beautiful. Credit her mother for that much. But rather than confirm or deny the existence of the aforementioned boyfriend, Darby lit up again. Got the gold digger right there next to you, huh? No way am I spending a week with that homewrecking bitch. Pity. I really had wanted to know. If I had gotten a name, at least I could have had him checked out. 
any potential father to my future grandchildren would have to pass muster, as the saying goes. Oh, <laughs> nice. For three years, she does nothing but bleed you dry, and I'm a gold digger? <sighs> you should hang up on that parasitic little ingrate. You should fucking cut her off. See how well she and her mother make up without you to help them. I'd always regretted being a slave to temptation. I pointed Lorraine to the door, all while expecting Darby to rage quit the conversation and hang up on me. Lorraine departed in a huff, glaring. Amazingly, Darby stayed on the line. She's gone, I said, once the sliding glass door safely cut Lorraine out of earshot. But Darby, listen to me. That home-wrecking bitch is here to stay, so- No, Dad. For once, you listen to me. You're rich, and your house is out in the middle of nowhere, totally unprotected. Sooner or later, if you keep doing what you do, something is going to happen. I have security, I said. As you know. Fucking ADT? Might as well have a bell and a goddamn string, Dad. Anyone seriously wanting to hit a house like that would know their way around that shit. Even if they didn't, how long would it take for the cops to get out there? Fifteen minutes? Half an hour? I shrugged even though she couldn't see me. Is this really all you called to talk about? Long silence, then... Yeah, Dad. I'm afraid it is. And she hung up. On the other side of the sliding glass door, Lorraine's glare had never left me. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. There's a certain ethereal magic to the way moonlight settles over the lagoon that surrounds the chateau. That night, it was almost as though sea spirits or ghosts rippled on its surface, singing to me a chorus of the lovely and forgotten dead. Were they native, these apparitions, or had they followed me halfway across the world? The wind whispered an early call to bed. I checked the Rolex, absently finger-combing my hair back into some kind of rough order. It was still barely past nine o'clock. Back at my other home in the Catskills, it would have been two in the morning, a likely enough hour for visitors. I left the laptop on, 
I heard Lorraine puttering around inside our suite, opening cabinets, probably going for another bottle of wine. Not far off, a yacht silently glided over one of the moonlit ghosts of the lagoon, dividing the ghost in two, killing it. I leveled my phone and took the shot right before the lights in the boat went out and the anchor dropped. Two shadows passed from the upper deck down to its lower level. Young shadows, both half-naked and physically fit. They were holding each other. They would be fucking soon, I had no doubt. If only they had stayed on the upper deck, I would have called Lorraine out to watch them with me. And if they had noticed, we would have waved at them. There are places in the world where it is not so unusual to do such a thing, especially at this hour. Bora Bora is one of them. I posted the shot along with more pictures of the lagoon, the chateau, and various pictures of myself with Lorraine. I posted to my status. Loving life on the other side of the world. Not missing home one bit. Enjoy the rat race, suckers. The tone was perfect. People would hate it. There were many people I knew who would love to see me get what's coming to me. And I do get what's coming to me. All the time, every day. It's the natural order of my universe. Life rewards the ruthless. Lorraine stepped back onto the balcony, quite recovered from her second-hand confrontation with Darby. She set a fresh bottle beside the laptop in the center of the small oak wood table. She tilted her head to the chairs, beckoning. I sat down opposite her, checked the screen, which showed my house in the Catskills. Security cameras displayed the property from 14 different angles. A tasks bar on the far right allowed me to manipulate the environment, rotating cameras, turning the lights on or off, even locking or unlocking certain doors. My security consisted of a lot more than just ADT. Turn it off. It isn't going to happen while you're watching. They'll let us know if anything happens. I did enjoy watching, though. Too, I enjoyed fiddling with the hidden cameras, both inside and outside of the house, along with several that lined both sides of the road that led to it. It had been in my possession since the mid-90s, this house of mine. It had four bedrooms, two and a half baths, oak-beamed cathedral ceilings, and plenty of space to entertain. There was an all-floors fieldstone fireplace, open on both sides, useless during the summer, but still impressive. In the back, curved bay windows looked out over the surrounding hilltops, while up front, one could look down over the last half-mile stretch of road that constituted the approach. The approach itself passed natural rock outcroppings that were incorporated into the original landscape design. I owned more than 125 acres of woodlands, open fields, and intersecting trails that friends and associates might explore by ATV or snowmobile, depending on the season. I did not have many friends, but I did have several associates. Among them were my house sitters. No one knew about them, of course, other than Lorraine. Darby sure as hell didn't know. During the day, they took full advantage of this property of mine. At night, they remained in the basement and waited. I could see them now, crouched in the dark like the shadows of statues. No matter how long I watched them, they never moved. Perhaps they were asleep. There was no way to know. Come on, Lorraine said, standing, taking my hand. Let's go inside. Put on a DVD. I followed her. If anyone should come, the house sitters would come to life. 
they would send me a voice message. It was always the same, a single sentence, both of them speaking together as one. You have company. Sometimes I answered the message before they got to work. Sometimes I expressed approval or disappointment with my initial appraisal of the guests. Other times, I simply expressed my natural excitement. Once, I merely bade the house sitters good luck. But no matter what I said, their response was always the same. And this second message was always texted, never voiced. We hope you enjoy the show. Anyway, I never watched them do their show live. The raw footage from the live feed was typically rife with bad camera angles, replete with endlessly repeated dialogue. It wasn't like you could direct the behavior of the players, nor under such duress could you ask them to stop repeating themselves. The setup between acts takes time too, very often hours, during which very little of interest takes place. Plus, I was always nervous that something would go wrong, that the players would somehow escape, or worse, turn the tables on my house sitters and actually kill them. That kind of suspense is unbearable, no fun at all. No, I far preferred to sleep in uncertainty, not watching, all the while anticipating the file that would be waiting for me in my email the following morning. The final edit was always clean, always boiled down to its best 30 or 45 minutes, which I would then transfer to DVD. I could have enjoyed watching these movies on my computer, of course, but the wall-length television screen in our suite at the Chateau, complete with surround sound, made for a far better, far more immersive experience. Lorraine put in the most recent DVD and settled next to me on the divan, the remote between us. It should be noted that, despite my daughter's warnings, we did not always receive visitors. In fact, over the past 10 years, the house sitters had only done their show six times. Among the six DVDs that contained those performances, this one, shot two years ago this very night, was our particular favorite. It featured five players, not counting the house sitters. They arrived in a black van, which I suppose you could take as either classic or cliche, depending on your disposition. I never knew what exactly became of the van itself. Such things were neither my business nor my concern. The vehicles were generally counted as partial payment for the services the house sitters provide. As long as they disappeared, I was happy. Naturally, the invaders were all young men. They always were. They weren't especially attractive, in the Hollywood sense. No, they were rather ordinary, and one of them was even quite fat. They had had some skill, though. They bypassed my ADT system as easily as Darby would have predicted they might. Further evidence of their experience was manifested in their disinterest toward items of little value and in the lack of vandalism for which I was grateful. They even ignored the relatively expensive entertainment systems in the primary living room and made a direct line for the stairs, for the bedrooms. There, it must be presumed, they thought to find the cash and the jewelry. One of my guests even had in his possession a bag of tools that I would later learn could have been used for safe cracking. They never made it that far. Prior to the lead burglar's third step on that staircase, my house sitters were upon them. And it must be said, they did not fuck around. 
My house sitters did not like having more than two invaders to contend with over the duration of one of their productions. Perfectly reasonable, as there were only two of them. And so the first thing they did, with no preamble, was to shoot three of the home invaders dead. Quick, precise headshots felled them instantly, decorating the hardwood with blood, brains, skull fragments, and teeth. They did not bother with suppressors in this private, isolated setting. They knew that I enjoyed the noise. My remaining guests, including the plump one, made no move to flee. Their instantaneous surrender was one of the things that distinguished this movie among the other films in my collection. The quarry almost always ran, but instead, in this one, their hands went straight up. And as the house sitters applied additional headshots to the dead, for insurance, first lifting them up by the hair so as not to unnecessarily perforate the floor, the inarticulate yells and screams of the two who remained alive began to take on actual words. Shit! Fuck! What the fuck? Holy fuck! Wait! Hold on! Jesus Christ, stop! This, of course, what I was referring to when I mentioned endlessly repeating dialogue. But the house sitters did stop, at least as far as handguns went. They relied on tasers to incapacitate the two remaining players. The dead had been mere extras. The plump one and his skinnier, younger counterpart they would be the real performers in this show, and their parts would play out for hours, although the footage would be whittled back later to the length of the program Lorraine and I currently enjoy. As a hard cut marked a transition from the living room to the basement, as the lights burned back on to reveal a pair of long-polished steel tables equipped with manacles, Lorraine held her wine glass in one hand and reached between my legs with the other. The invaders were both naked now, both splayed out on the tables like uncut Thanksgiving turkeys. This description is especially apt as it pertained to the fat one whose stomach rose in a grand arch as though having been thoroughly stuffed, which I suppose for all practical purposes, it regularly had been. It really was all I could do over the course of the next several minutes of film to restrain myself from blasting off under the gentle, repetitive ministrations of Lorraine. She knew enough to withdraw her fingers when the house sitters brought out the bolt cutters, the saw, and the medical equipment. The house sitters wore white smocks, like artists. They also wore surgical gloves. One of them had some experience as a field medic. The other was from law enforcement. Both were in their 40s. The medic was male, and he went by the name Bruno. The cop, female, preferred to be called Candy. I do not think those are their real names. It was Candy who spoke to them. Are we awake now? Comfy. Bruno, meanwhile, arranged his supplies on a metal trolley between the two tables while the battery-run power washer charged on the floor. The guests were both gagged. Neither Bruno nor Candy had any interest in what words their quarry might utter for this part. That didn't keep the prisoners from responding in various ways. Apart from the screaming, which was a constant, they also banged the backs of their heads against the tables, rattled in their restraints. And well, there were also the less voluntary responses, the messy ones. For whatever reason, Lorraine, who was far more ladylike in most matters, found these responses rather funny. Otherwise, 
I'd have asked that they be edited out. Really, big boy? No more self-control than that? We're just getting started, you know. The other noises, made by the equipment, were far more stimulating to my mind. The grinding of the larger bones under the 20-inch giggly saw, the crunching of others under the 7.5-inch surgical mallet, the snapping of smaller bones under Liston forceps and ordinary pliers, the tearing of ligaments and muscles, forcibly stripped from their skeletal moorings by retractors and amputation knives, the towel clamps and dissection scissors. All these and the visuals that accompanied them, alternating regularly between impact shots and close-ups on the face, especially the eyes, were what made the movie for me. Bruno's detached calm throughout the procedures, as he called them, was most to be commended. He was quite skilled in prolonging, too. Not only the lives of his subjects, allowing them to bleed out would have been only too easy, but also the degree to which they, with the help of adrenal-based medications and smelling salts, remained aware until the very end. As often as not, he could have a subject fully quartered at the elbows and knees without losing them to blood loss or even heart failure. To me, this was the money shot, the close-up of the fat man, the primary on the steel surgical table, his arms and legs manacled to the four corners, awake and aware of what had been done to him, the way his massive, befouled and bloody body continuously lurched and flopped, the stumps of his arms and legs thumping against the blood-smeared steel tabletop as his hands and feet lay inert in the chains, separated from the rest of his body. I reached over for Lorraine, and her hand returned to its ministrations as on screen, Candy forced the skinnier, still uninjured man to turn his head and see what had become of his accomplice. We have some loose meat, she said, leaning in toward his ear, purring the words, Who's hungry? He puked behind the gag before she could remove it, and he kept puking as she finally withdrew it, allowing the man to retch himself empty, and afterward to beg and scream some more. Now, you listen to me. She said, not unkindly. She sounded like a mildly disapproving schoolteacher. You are going to do this. As long as you keep doing it, Bruno will not hurt you. Make it to daytime, and we'll let you go. Each hesitation, however, each instance of resistance, will cost you in blood and flesh. Are you ready? For the first time since they had woken him, he was silent. Here's your chance to save your own life. Are you ready? He blinked, tears flowing freely, even as Bruno took up an ice pick and mercifully finished the larger man with a quick puncture to the temple. I said, are you ready? Last chance before I call hesitation. He nodded. Good boy. She brought him the left foot, using a scalpel to peel meat from the separation point like beef jerky. Gently, I eased out from Lorraine's massaging fingers and reached for the remote. If we kept this up, I'd finish right there, involuntarily, before she could leave me to bed. I pushed the stop button, ejected the disc, 
switched off the television. I reached for my glass of wine and found it empty. I reached for the bottle. Empty too. Lorraine tilted her head in the direction of the bedroom suite. The look in her eyes told me plainly that the time for wine had passed. It was fucking time now. But then my phone vibrated. Drawing it from my robe pocket, I half expected it to be Darby, nonsensical as the thought was. She had gotten what she wanted out of the earlier conversation. She had had the last word. I was pleasantly surprised to see that it was from the house sitters. The voice message icon was bright red. I tapped it, knowing already what I would hear, the two of them speaking together. You have company. Lorraine and I shared a look without speaking. Then, like little kids, we rushed back out to the balcony. Although we never watched the show live, we did like to see the quarry before leaving the house sitters to their work. Lorraine liked them to be good-looking, or at least interesting-looking, like the fat man. Secretly, I always hoped the quarry would one day be female. It didn't take long for my laptop to boot up. We sat together in front of the screen. I clicked the application and brought up the road cameras, the ones that oversaw the approach. It seemed, however, that we were too late for that. We found them via the driveway cam, just as the doors on the Escalade were opening on either side. Four people emerged from the vehicle. College-age kids. Three of them were female. And one of them... One of them was... No. No, I'm imagining this. This makes no sense. It can't be. But it could be. And it was. And it did make sense. It made perfect sense. One of them was Darby. Again, I reached for my phone. My hands shook. Lorraine watched me, eyes wide, mouth agape, not speaking. I didn't bother with a traditional call. They would not have picked up. I did what I always did, carefully making sure to get my typing just right even as the kids came nearer and nearer to the double front doors of my house. I texted them in all caps. That's my daughter. That's Darby. Don't do anything. I could hear her outside with her friends. I really did have a top-quality system. Her words came across as clear as could be. Remember, we're just going to teach that stubborn old dumbass a lesson. Just grab some cash and a few other things, break a vase or two, then leave. We're not going to trash the whole place. We could have one hell of a party here. I could raise the whole gang in no time. I wondered if this was Darby's boyfriend, the potential future father of my grandchildren. The house sitters texted back. We hope you enjoy the show. And all Lorraine had to offer was... Oh my god. She wasn't even upset. At the house, Darby keyed in the security code and deactivated the ADT alarm. I texted again. Do you fucking read these messages or not? Leave my daughter alone. I waited. The kids passed inside. We switched to the foyer cameras. The boy took one of the other girls, not Darby, by the shoulder and kissed her deeply. This is going to be fun, he said, his voice thick with mischief. We should at least make use of the guest bedroom. Darby smiled at that. It's a thought. I stood up, paced, waited, nothing. Jesus Christ! I yelled into the open air. Fucking answer! Lorraine took my arm, said my name, tried to be soothing. I'm calling 911, I said, 
bringing up the manual keypad. From Bora Bora? Lorraine asked, her eyes sympathetic. Honey, there's no time. Darby's words from earlier echoed in my brain. How long would it take for the cops to get out there? Fifteen minutes? Half an hour? On screen, Darby took the hands of the other girl, the one without a boyfriend, and leaned in for a deep kiss of her own. Lorraine blinked. Wow. That was unexpected. My hands went numb. The phone slipped free and clattered at my feet. Darby, I said, my voice breaking. I told myself that I didn't care that she had a girlfriend. It was a phase. She'd come through it. Down the line, if she wanted a little girl action on the side, no big deal. We could talk about that. Now it was the house sitters who was the imminent threat to her life. I didn't have a problem with those people, with lesbian people. No grandchildren for you, whispered the voice in my head. You can't save her by calling the cops. Even if you could, you know what that would mean. I turned to look at Lorraine, full in the face. We'd be caught. She squeezed my arm gently, consoling me. We'd be ruined. Then she brought her foot down on my phone, crushing it. And that, I must admit, had been a bold move. I was tempted to strike her. The thought of killing her right there and by myself crossed my mind. On screen, the kids moved for the stairs. They could not see the trapdoor to the basement slide open behind them, but one of the cameras caught it. Maybe they'll make it quick for her, I thought. Maybe they'll play with the other two. I was instantly shocked by the inner workings of my own mind. The thing is, in the end, Lorraine was right. There was nothing to be done. She's shown me nothing but disrespect for years, I thought. She's kept secrets from me, and she would never have been a mother to my grandchildren. Fuck her. On screen, gunfire. The nameless boy who'd wanted to party and his slutty little girlfriend dropped dead. My daughter and the other girl were rather more predictable than the fat man and his skinny friend had been. They did what most people would do. They screamed, then tried to run. They didn't get far. The crackle of tasers, the thump of living bodies incapacitated on the hardwood floor. The house sitters moved in. Bruno had the chloroform, which would facilitate the longer incapacitation required for transition. Candy held the pair of industrial strength scissors for the clothing. More wine? I shook my head. Something a little stronger, I think. She left me and returned shortly with an unopened bottle of brandy. We sat down again in front of the computer, poured ourselves fresh drinks. We didn't speak. This one, we would watch live. I hope you enjoyed The House Sitters, as written by Marcus Demanda and performed by Paul J. McSorley, Olivia Steele, Rissa Montanez, Danielle Hewitt, and Eric Peabody. Marcus Demanda, writer, teacher, world's best uncle, he is the gatekeeper to your nightmares and dreams, weaver of tales fantastic and unimaginable, or some stuff like that. More of his work can be found at vlox.com as well as the No Sleep podcast, where he has been a core writer for years. 
Olivia Steele is a voice actress who loves the spooky side of things. Her talent varies between gameplay, live stream archives, singing, and other voiceover-related things. More of Rissa and Danielle can be found over on the Creepy Podcast, as well as right here on our very own network. Actor Paul J. McSorley can be found right here on our very own network as well, as over on Audible. On to the shows. Longtime resident and powerhouse Otis Jiry has his very own show here on our network, Scary Stories Told in the Dark, which you can hear every Sunday night. We also have Eric Peabody's Horror Hill, a podcast dedicated to some of our deeper and darker tales. We hope you check him out. And Drew Blood's Dark Tales airs Fridays, featuring some southern down-home horror. Now, our weekly descent into the depths has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012, and consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host of the evening, Steve Taylor, and it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.